You know, I think I've said it before, if all the Bibles in the world were just somehow could be thrown down somewhere, probably randomly, uh, they would, more of them would open to John chapter 3 than any other passage in all the Bible. Today we begin our series of Christmas messages entitled, Come Home for Christmas. And that's exactly what God invites us to do in the Bible, especially at this time of the year. We're going we're gonna to look in John chapter 3 today, verse number 14 to start with. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. You know the story. Nicodemus was a part of the Supreme Court of the nation of Israel. Uh, he was a seeker. He was religious but lost. He came to Jesus at nighttime because he didn't want to be seen by other people. And uh, Jesus taught him two of the most important lessons that he would ever learn. First of all, Nicodemus, you must be born again from above. And then, Nicodemus, God's love is bigger than you ever dreamed. It's worldwide. So in verse number 14, we find the Lord saying, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus here is taking Nicodemus, the good Bible scholar that he was, back into the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 21. It's a story of the nation of Israel coming out of bondage. Uh, Moses is trying to lead the people. That's a hard job, do you know that? Leading people. Uh, the people became dissatisfied uh, with the blessings of God and they began to murmur and they began to complain. God, God got ang angry with them after all that he had done for them. And he sent serpents, snakes, in the midst of the nation of Israel and they began to bite people and people began to die. And so the people went to Moses and said, Moses, you've got to do something about this. Stop this plague. So Moses did what he did oftentimes. He went and he talked to God and he said, God, please stop this. Stop this, these serpents biting the people. And the Lord said, listen, Moses, put, make a serpent and put it up, a bronze serpent, and put it up on a pole and go through the, throughout the camp and ask people just to look at it. And if they would look at it, they would be healed and they would be cured. And so Jesus makes this uh, connection to the Old Testament. He says here, Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And you can write in your Bible on the cross. And it's the cross that we lift, lift up. And when people see the love of Christ on the cross, they are healed. They are changed. They, they are changed forever. And then verse 15, it says, For whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, this is the most popular verse in the Bible, verse 16. Many of you learned this as a young kid going to Sunday school. Your teacher would say, hey, now listen, you've got to memorize this verse. And you said, well, I don't know if I want to do that or not, but she made you. And, uh, and now you're thankful to God that you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Uh, we hear more about that verse than any other verse in the Bible. And uh, I've chosen it this morning uh, because it is so popular. I understand there are 31,102 verses of Scripture in the Bible. This is the most beloved one in all the Bible. Some of you, like as I, like to look at the TV program Gold Rush. 
How many people like to see Gold Rush? Okay. Uh, Rob Hoffman is the big guy on Gold Rush. And, uh, you know, they, they pray all the time, but they get very little gold. They always have trouble. But every time Rob Hoffman turns his back toward the camera, there, is this, there are these numbers on the back of his shirt, 316. Uh, he's promoting John 316. Some, some of you remember years ago, there was a guy named Rainbow Man uh, back in the 70s and 80s, and he used to go to all the uh, sporting events. And he had this big afro, and it was a rainbow color. And he used to take this giant sign, and it said John 3.16. He was all over the place. It was amazing. John 3.16, people like to spread the word around because it's, it's exciting. It's the center of the Bible. Tim Tebow uh, printed this reference, among other Bible verses, on his eye black uh, when he would play. On January 8, 2012, remember that was the game that would become known as the 316 game. It's where Tim Tebow threw for 316 yards in the playoff upset against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We won't forget that, will we? Uh, and there were, other, there were other numbers in that game, uh, 316. Uh, his uh, average yards of completion, uh, 31.6. It was amazing. And after that, John 3.16 became the top Google search in the United States. Well, that's a good thing, to spread the message of John 3.16 around. You know, there's something very attractive about coming home for Christmas, isn't there? There's an aura to it all. Uh, but you know, God has a home for everybody. And he invites everybody to come to his house. On this Sunday after Thanksgiving, we begin to think about Christmas and gift giving. I heard just yesterday on television that on Black Friday, uh, people spent $9 billion on Christmas gifts. $9 billion. The day before on Thanksgiving, they went shopping too. They spent $3 billion on that day. Well, you know, the gifts of which we speak in the church are much different than those things. They are gifts that cannot be bought with money. The first Christmas in Bethlehem was God's gift to man, the gift of his son, Jesus. And this is God's supreme gift. And from that gift, a lot of other gifts are always forthcoming. Wednesday night, we had a really nice service here in the church, and I'm always surprised uh, on that Thanksgiving Eve. And we were asked to fill out a, a form and write down all of our blessings and and uh, I'm, for the most part, a rule keeper, and so I did it. And so I wrote down on my form a lot of different blessings I was thankful for, and one of which went like this. I'm thankful for everything I have that cannot be bought with money. Those are the most important things in life. You know, it doesn't make any difference where you live, what section of town, how high up, uh, and... Uh, all of that, it does, that's, those things are incidental. The things that are important are the gifts that God gives that don't cost anything, the free things. Uh, they're the best. Uh, the gift of his son. 1 John 5, 12 says, He who has the son has life, and he who does not have the son does not have life. You know, when we receive Jesus Christ, he gives us a lot of things. Jesus said, I am come into this world to give you eternal life and abundant life. John 10, 10. Eternal life, just think of it. It begins the very moment you believe in Jesus Christ. 
Boy, these are truths that are earth-shaking. They really are. Jesus said in John 5.24, He who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life. The very moment you believe in Christ, you have everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. Eternal life. That's something worth pondering. It really is. How satisfying is that? How amazing it is. John the Apostle wrote in 1 John 5.13, These things have I written that you may believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us all to know that. You know, there are plenty of things in life we know about, but the most important thing is eternal life, isn't it? That means if we close our eyes in this life and our heart stops, we wake up in heaven. Eternal life. Uh, you know, we're around a lot of death, aren't we? Uh, death as we know it today is not a period at the end of what we call life. It's just a comma for us or for the people we leave behind. But it's not even a comma for us because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. There's not even a pause whenever a believer dies. They go immediately into the presence of God. And so we have uh, eternal life. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9.15, I think we all have to agree with the Apostle Paul. Thanks be to God for his what? Indescribable gift. Uh, how do we go about really getting to the bottom of this? Well, I don't think we do that. I think we just kind of pick around the edges of it. We have abundant life from Christ. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons, that we might be adopted into God's family. Actually, what happens is God invites us to his home to be a part of his family. Uh, the offer of salvation is an offer by God for us to come home with him. To as many as received him, to get them he gave the authority to become the children of God. You know, abundant life is a journey of spending the rest of our life unwrapping the gifts from God. I think it's kind of trite to stay, say today that every day can be Christmas for the believer. Uh, it's a lot better than Christmas. This holiday that we're getting ready to dive into for the next few weeks, uh, the culture of Christmas comes and goes. But the unwrapping of God's gift continues on. These gifts that, that are given to us by God are given to us by His Holy Spirit. And so we go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, to understand some of them. Let me give it to you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness. Now note, these things cannot be bought with money. Love joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They're the characteristics of a believer. And all of these attitudes of a believer are commanded somewhere in the New Testament for us to have. And you know, God never commands us to do anything that we can't do. He doesn't say, hey, listen, go do that. I know you can't do it. When he tells us to do something, he gives us the strength to do it. And so on your notes in your Sunday Courier today, I've written the outline. And below each one of the points of the outline, there is a line for you to write on what we're going to do uh, the next few minutes is take John 3.16 apart. And the first point on the outline is this. God's love is an attribute. And on that line, right under there in your notes, 
write this. A few of the attributes of God, what are they? They're holiness. That means that God is different than any other person that you know. There's righteousness, and that means that God never makes a wrong decision. Everything that God does is perfectly right. There's justice. Uh, he is the just judge in the Bible. There's goodness, there's love, there's mercy, there's grace, and there's truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, if there's one attribute that people love more than any of those, it's love. And that word love encapsulates for us his mercy, his grace, his loving kindness. You know, God is not like the deities of other religions who uh, are thought of as angry and hateful. God is loving toward his creatures. He wants to share a personal relationship with us. Now think of this. This is incredible. God wants to share a relationship with you and me. 1 John 4 talks extensively about God's love, not just that he has love, but that he is love. And I know that there are a lot of people and they say, well, you know, in the Old Testament, God didn't seem to be too loving. But let me say to you this today, that if it's, his added, if it's his attribute, God can never be less than God. And so that means in the Old Testament there is a loving God, in the New Testament there is a loving God. Let me give you a, a few Old Testament verses. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he'll have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon does that sound like a loving God? It sure does. Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Uh, God can never be less than God. Uh, his attribute is love. The next thing on your notes is this. God's love is unconditional. Write this on the, bottom, on the line. For God so loved the world. The word love there is the Greek word agape. And it means a love of choice. A decision. That's real love. Love is a decision. It's not an emotional affection or a physical attraction. Uh, and it leads to self-sacrificing service to other people. That's the kind of love that God is all about. That's his attribute. Out of nowhere, God responds as a result of his nature. He responds in love. His love is free of charge, no strings attached. Now, that's hard for us to comprehend too, isn't it? Because we live in a world that uh, really promotes a lot of conditional love. And that means if you do this, I'll demonstrate love to you. And if you don't do this, I'll withhold my love from you. Well, God's love is not like that. It's not condition, conditional. God demonstrates his love to us not based on our attitude about him or our behavior. Uh, Christian author Philip Yancey said this, There is nothing that we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing that we can do to make God love us less. Face it. You're stuck with it. God loves you. For God so loved the world. Every time I come across that little word, so, it kind of takes me back a minute because uh, that's, uh, that's an emphasis. That denotes intensity. When you 
when you see a teenager and you say, oh, she's so in love with this person. That means that's big. That's, that's more than normal. And that's the way God loved the world. And he had an intense love for the world. Now, the word world is the Greek word cosmos, and it means the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of humanity alienated from God. Now, that's odd, isn't it? Here's this perfect being filled with love, and he looks down on this world that is exactly the opposite of him. And uh, he says, I choose to love this world. It doesn't matter what they feel about me or how they act. I love them. Well, you know, in John chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And that refuted the popular Jewish idea regarding the way of salvation. They thought you had to work your way up to heaven. And, and Jesus told Nicodemus, no, that's not the way it works. You must be born from above. That word again, can also be translated up from above. You must be born from heaven. And so we don't work our way up to God. Uh, we, uh, we see that God has come down to seek us out. Now Jesus is refuting the popular Jewish idea regarding the scope of salvation. You see, they thought they were the only ones in the center of God's love. And, and Jesus said, no, no, it's the whole world. Now that would blow Nicodemus' mind. The whole world, the ungodly multitude. God's love has no strings attached. It's there because God is there. The next thing on your notes is God's love is extravagant. And you can write these two words on the line, he gave. God's gifts are different than ours. He's extravagant in his giving. Stuart Briscoe, I think, illustrated this well when he wrote this. Years ago, when I was a young banker, we used big leather ledgers where all accounts were entered by hand. I remember daydreaming about those ledgers and God's ledgers in heaven. And we're told about those books that will be open one of these days. And I imagine my name, David Stuart Briscoe. And God added up all the sum total of my indebtedness against him. I could never cancel that overwhelming indebtedness. And in my mind's eye, I saw God take his pen and transfer the sum total of my indebtedness to the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the account of the Lord Jesus Christ, he wrote, transferred from the account of David Stuart Briscoe. Now, this is good, but there's more. He said, I thought God was finished, but when I saw him do something incredible, he added up the total of his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and against it, he wrote these words, transferred to the account of David Stuart Briscoe. That's an extravagant. All of our sin was transferred to, to Christ. And all of his righteousness is transferred to us. Wow. I know that's too hard for you to comprehend. I think it is for me as also. You know, God's gifts are so extravagant because, and here's the reason why, because he gives out of his resources. You know, if I were to give you a gift, it wouldn't be that much because I don't have that much. But, you know, when God gives, he gives out of his abundance. 
He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. And uh, remember, Paul said in Philippians, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches. Not your riches, his riches. Well, he sent his son to, he gave his son. And he gave his son not to just send him on a mission, but to send him to die. Now listen to this, please, this morning. Send him to die in your place. In your place. To experience the judgment of God upon sin that you deserved and I deserved. That's, he did that. To, be, to offer up his son as a substitute. The next point is God's love is valuable. He gave his only son how many times when you've been asked to give something, uh, did you say, you know, I can't give you that, it's the only one I have? Have you ever said that? We have a lady that uh, comes to our Sweet 60 group, and she goes to another church nearby, and they're having, their teenagers are having a drive, and they're bringing in old shoes. Uh, and they're sending them to the mission field, and I think they're trying to get 1,500 pairs of shoes. Some of you have about half that in your house. Uh, and I thought, oh, that's really good. I can give to that. <laughs> because we have extras, don't we? And so I had fun. I looked up in the closet and I said, okay, <laughs> they can have that one. <laughs> They'll have that one. I'll never wear that again. So I brought in this big bag of shoes. We often say, you know, I, I can't give you that. It's the only one I have. Uh, when, we, when we give sometimes, uh, that's the way it is. We say, well, you know, I can do without that. It won't affect my bottom line. But you know, when a person gives out of their abundance, that's one thing. But when a person gives out of their poverty, that's another thing. Uh, to give a son out of many sons, that's great love. But to give a son where there's only one son, how great is that? That's God's love. He gave his only, only son. I heard about a child who was in a Christmas play, and they're going, they'll be going on all over, of course, the world at this time of the year. And uh, that little boy had learned uh, John 3.16. And uh, he was nervous, he got up there, and he misquoted it. Uh, whenever he got to the place of the only begotten son, he said, the only forgotten son. It was one of those slips of the tongue that carried more truth than we would care to admit. Because, you, you know, most people have forgotten Jesus Christ. Uh, they've forgotten his, uh, his life, his love, his sacrifices forgotten. But it's our job as Christians to help them remember, to be good stewards of history. Uh, and the Christmas season is our opportunity to do just that. Once again, herald how attractive the person of Jesus really is. You know, I think personally that... People listen better at Christmas. I really do. We have so many people in our church that came to our Christmas programs and they sat out there and for the first time, somehow, God spoke to their heart and showed them the meaning of what Christianity was all about. God sacrificed His Son upon the cross in your place and it changed their life. You know, no one expresses ideas any better than Max Lucado. Some of you have read many of his books. This is what he said. 
There are many reasons God saves you to bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty. But one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he is fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, but he chose your heart. And uh, the Christmas gift he sent you in Bethlehem, face it, friend, he's crazy about you. Now, is that crazy for us to use terms like that? I don't think so. Let me give you a little comparison this morning. First of all, think about the love you have for your children. Are you crazy about them? I think you are. Uh, there's nothing you wouldn't do to help them, to protect them. And when they're away from you, you flash their pictures all around. You would lay down your life in a heartbeat for any one of your kids. Uh, now, God's love is infinitely greater than your love. I think Max Lucada's statement is right. God is crazy about you and me. Uh, that concept we have to take a minute to take in, right? Now, the next point this morning is this. God's love is accessible. Whoever believes in him. I love that word, whoever, because that opens a door for everyone. That's you, that's me. There are no qualifications on God's love. He just says, listen, it's for everybody. Don't look at a person and say, hey, listen, they're left out, they're in, they're out. God doesn't look at it that way. Not from just the correct part of town, but from the shanty town. Not from just intellectuals, but the illiterate. Not those who have a certain color or skin or ethnic background, everyone. In fact, Jesus said, I want you to go out and preach this good message to everyone in the world and don't leave anybody out. No one left out. No one left behind. For whosoever, that's you. And, and you know, I think this whole thing dawns on us when we realize that, that we come to the place that we say, okay, this is not for my mother or my father only. It's for me too. Whoever believes, the word believes is an interesting word. It doesn't mean just a, an intellectual assent that, that you believe in Jesus. It, it's not just saying, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus like Abraham Lincoln or George Washington. No, the word believe means to trust, to rely on, to cling to, to embrace Christ and what he teaches. That's what believing means. I'm going to accept a Savior and I'm going to follow his teaching. James 2.19 says the demons believe and they tremble. Demons believe in Jesus. They have a head, head knowledge but not a heart knowledge. Whoever believes in him. It doesn't say trust the church or trust religious acts of baptism or communion or good works. Those things have their place but uh, not for salvation. There is only one name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved, and it is the name of Jesus Christ. He is the only way to heaven. During the time of the Reformation period of history, there was a revival of Bible doctrine over and against what we call church tradition. Actually, 
If you read history, the church has tried to keep Bibles away from people because when they, people read the Bible, they became converted and they forsook the teachings of men. And there was a saying, a motto that went around back during those years that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Oh, that's a great motto. I love it a lot. Salvation means it's uh, God coming down to you, not you working your way up to God. It means that God is the aggressor, the initiator of your salvation. He sends the Holy Spirit into the world to convict you of your sin and show you your need of Christ. Ephesians 2.8, you know what it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, grace and faith are both a gift from God. Now it is true that uh, we are, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, sometimes we look at that as something we can do, but it isn't. Because that faith, that very faith is a gift from God too. Uh, God's love is beneficial. On the line right, we should not perish. You know, the destination of all who are not saved is to perish. Uh, to be separated from Christ in this life and the life to come. Luke 13, 5, Jesus said this, Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He said in John 10, 28, And I give you eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man snatch them out of my hand. When a person does not accept the offer, the free offer of salvation from Christ, they forfeit the person of the Holy Spirit as their helper in this life. Now, I've lived a long enough time to know that you need a lot of help in this life. And boy, when God sends his Holy Spirit, he gives you his helper. But when you're not saved, you don't have that. You're out there alone. You're trying to do it on your own. Well, uh, you're left without uh, the help of the Spirit. And uh, you're left without the possibility of a future home in heaven. Right on that line, everlasting life. What does that mean? That means heaven. When you read the Bible, there are streets of gold there. It's a, a place of no pain, no tears, no broken promises, no heartbreaks. The former things are passed away, the Bible, the Bible says. How long will this last? Forever. God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only son, his one and only son, on the cross to die in your place. Now, wouldn't you say with me this morning that God has done everything he can do to provide the way of salvation for you? Uh, you know, what else could he do? He sent his only son to take your place upon the cross. And that's God's roadblock. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He doesn't want you to perish. And so he made a way for you through Christ. And all you have to do is come and trust him and embrace him and follow him and serve him. And you know, when you see how much he, he loves you, that makes you want to serve him. It really does. It, it makes you want to lay down your life for him. I think the story of the prodigal son in the Bible has a little bit to offer to this. I love that. It's in Luke chapter 15. Remember, it's the story of two sons. It's amazing how kids turn out differently in families. One son, he was compliant. Uh, he stayed at home. The other son said, listen, I, wanna, I want my money. I want uh, 
a share of my inheritance. I'm out of here. I don't like living at home. Uh, you can have this. And so he took, it, he took off with the money and he blew it. It doesn't take long for a person bent on his self-destruction to spend all of his money, does it? He spent all of his money, he had no friends, and had a terrible job. And the Bible says one day he came to himself. I love that statement. He came to himself. He woke up and he said, what on earth am I doing? Everything I really want is at home. A place of love. There's no love out here in the world. These people were only my friends when I had money. I have no friends now. My money's gone. And so he began to think about home. And he began to think about his crazy lifestyle. And so he headed home. Uh, and uh, the Bible says in Luke 15, 20, And he arose and came to the Father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son didn't earn his way back into the father's love. The father never stopped loving him. Uh, he didn't do one single act of restitution. But he did do this. He acknowledged his sin. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And you know what his father said? That's enough. Say no more. Let the party begin. Uh, the father in that story is, uh, is a symbol of God. That's how God is. God is looking out there for his children. And he loves everyone, and he wants every one of them to come home because there's nothing that brings joy into the parent's life is when your kids come home for a while. A while. When the kids come home, you say, ah, oh, I love this. Now, you can't experience that until you get real old. You won't know what I'm talking about. You know, when um, this is God. The forgiving father, he's eager for people to come home to his love. And if you're here today in our service and you've never come home to God to experience his love and forgiveness, I want to encourage you today to make this your day of salvation. To invite Jesus into your heart. And when you do that, he will reach his arms around you and he will bring you into his home. He will be your father. You will be his son or daughter. And you will have the love that you have looked for in all the wrong places. You will have the love of God, the forgiveness of sins, the joy and the peace, and an eternal home in heaven. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I wonder if you're here today and maybe you have never honestly truly from the bottom of your heart, embraced Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you believe in Him in your head and you know about Him, and you even know some of the stories of the Bible, but you don't really know Him in a deep relationship way. Well, today you can know Him. All you have to do is humble your heart and make your heart an altar and pray to the Lord. Remember the Bible said, Whosoever shall call, you can do that today. You can call out on the Lord for salvation. And He will come to you like that father that I just read about. He will run to you. 
And he will put his arms around you and he will kiss you with the kiss of forgiveness and you'll never be the same. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed so there's no embarrassment, if you're here today and you want Christ as your Savior, you know you need him, I'd like to lead you in the prayer of salvation. Just pray this prayer, not out loud, but in your heart. Just say, Dear Lord, thank you for loving me, for caring about me so much that you would send your son to die in my place. I accept your offer of forgiveness and salvation. I trust you completely for my soul's salvation. Send your spirit to live in my heart. I embrace you as my Savior. Now, if you're praying a prayer similar to that, it doesn't have to be those exact words. But if you're opening your heart this morning to Christ, Jesus is coming to you and he will forgive you. He will give you a life, an abundant life and an eternal life. Dear Lord, we thank you for John 3.16. People have written it on their t-shirts, but you have written it on our hearts. It's the verse above all verses to show us your love. And I pray that for those in our church today that have expressed their faith in you, I pray that they will see a great change in their life as a result of applying God's word to their heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we, as we sing our invitation song today. And as we sing, if you'd like to come and pray here at the front of the church, feel free to do that. If you'd like to come and pray for a friend,
God proved his love for us. He just didn't say it in the Bible. He proved it. And you know, when a person has love for another person, they prove it. The Bible says God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The scripture says, there is no greater love than this, than a man lay, lay down his life for his friends. But Jesus did more than that. He laid down his life for us when we weren't his friends. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. Or there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. He just, you're stuck with it, as Philip Yancey said. He loves you. In fact, I, I guess that the other writer is right, too. He's just crazy about you. And so when we run into a person like that, it evokes love in us, right? To love him back. Boy, what incredible love he has to look down on our life. Now let me encourage you. In the foyer, we have our tickets for Kim Costanza. Pastor Ken said a number of years ago we had Kim here, and he was, he's incredible as a saxophonist. I thought this man is as good as Kenny G any day. And he travels all over the place. He'll give a great concert that night. This is a good chance for you to bring your friends and say, listen, I just want to introduce you to the church. We'll have a meal together. Buy some of those tickets out there. And then the Jingle Jam, those are free. Grab a handful of those. Pass them out. And let's just pray together that God will just really come down on our church during this Christmas season. Draw a lot of people to his love. Because people really need this message that God loves them. Turn around and shake hands with your neighbor. God bless you. You're dismissed. I do. I know. It's